his wife and four daughters. He had a son that had passed away, but he still had four daughters. So he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them after he finished some pressing business at home. However, while they were crossing the Atlantic Ocean on this ship, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and it sunk. More than 200 people passed away, including all four of Spatford's daughters. His wife, Anna, survived, and when she got to England, she sent a telegram back to him, and it just said, saved alone, what shall I do? Spatford immediately set sail for England, and at one point during the voyage, the captain of the ship, who knew what had happened in the prior tragedy, tragedy to the Spatford family, summoned him to tell him that they were now passing the spot where the shipwreck had occurred. As Spatford thought about his daughters, his son, and the loss of his fortune, uh, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind, and he wrote a song at that time. And this is what the song said as he passed the area where his three, uh, I'm sorry, four daughters had passed away. When peace like a river attended my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and had shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well with my soul. If you truly believe that no matter what happens in your life, as long as you've got God, as long as you know that he have, has nailed your sins to the cross, that you can say just like Job, it is well with my soul. 
Stop focusing on all the things that are going wrong and focus on the things that are growing, going right. Focus on the things that God has delivered you from. Focus on the things that God has brought you out of. Focus on the good. Focus on all of the may, amazing, wonderful things that God has done for you and sing, it is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes we just have to go back and focus on the things that God has blessed us with, on the things that God has allowed to go right in our, in our lives. And for this man, even though it seems like he is a present or not really a present day, 1800s, but more forward than, than back in the Bible days, but a present day Job story where he literally just began to worship God and focus on the fact that his sins had been forgiven. And that's what we have to uh, pay attention to. And that's what we have to uh, think about and give our attention to. And even our scripture for today, uh, we think about the parable of the talents many times and we think about it uh, from the standpoint of, uh, we think about it from the standpoint of, of money and it is talking about money. A talent was uh, a measurement of silver or gold. Um, but I wanna bring attention to something uh, and we won't get deep into it. Uh, I'm, I'm tempted to say I don't have a long word today, but I know that normally when I say that, then it ends up being longer, but I really don't believe that I have anything super long today, just about a 15 or 20 minute thought in my head to, to give to you all. Um, but in Matthew chapter number 25, we'll begin reading at verse number one. Um, this is paralleled also with uh, Luke chapter number 19, but I give you both of these to show you where, Mac, where Matthew and Luke put this uh, parable of the talents. So we'll read Matthew 25 verse one through 13, but then I'll talk about uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Uh, but it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. They weren't prepared. Okay. Uh, verse 4 says, When the wise took oil in their vessels, uh, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. It says, see that? So they all slumbered and slept. So even as even as saints, sometimes we have to be careful because we can end up sleeping and not paying attention and waiting for the return of the Lord. Verse six says, and at midnight a cry was heard: Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all the virgins. So something happened that woke them up. Is what that really comes down to the imagery there. Something came that woke them up as, as look at them as the church and something came that woke them up, but there were some that were not prepared. Okay. There were some that not, were not prepared. They didn't have the word of God or the oil as it calls it here inside of them. It says, then those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and, and you, but rather go, to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they were out to buy, the bridegroom came and those uh, who were ready went with him, uh, went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But the answer, but he answered and said, as surely I say to you, I do not know you. Okay, we see some similar language that we saw in Bible study last week uh, when we were talking about 
the uh, the did not prophesy in your name, did not preach in your name. And he said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And he says the same thing, same kind of verbiage here. I do not know you in verse 12. Verse 13 says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Then he goes into the parable of the talents. But in Luke chapter number 19, uh, he, he gives a, not really a similar imagery, uh, but, he, but he gives something that goes to the same point. Now, Luke says that he's given the orderly account. Uh, and, and it appears that Matthew is honestly just kind of grouping some talks of Jesus together, and he's organizing them in such a way that they don't lose their, um, that they don't lose their context, but it doesn't appear that he's necessarily giving uh, thought for thought, like this happened then, and then at five o'clock, and then at six o'clock, and then at seven o'clock, whereas uh, Luke chapter number 19, when Luke talks about Zacchaeus, it appears as though it runs right in together with the way that the language gives. And so uh, for sake of time, I won't read it, but many of you know the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the one who was short. Zacchaeus was the short man and there were crowds and Zacchaeus was trying to get to Jesus, okay? Uh, so same kind of thought process with the, the, the uh, virgins waiting on the bridegroom, okay? Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to get to Jesus. He wanted uh, uh, communion with Jesus. And so what happened, was Zacchaeus, in order to see Jesus, had to do something uh, outside of the norm, okay? Because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. The Bible says that he ran ahead. Now, this is a true story. We're not, we're not getting this as a parable or as a story that Jesus told, but the Bible says that he ran ahead and he climbed a tree and he got up in the tree so that he could see Jesus and, and begin to uh, proceed to get Jesus' attention. When he got Jesus' attention, Jesus told him, this is the song that uh, we used to sing as kids. I don't know if you guys used to sing it in Sunday school. We say, and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going to your house today or I'm going to your house today. Do y'all remember that song? No? Okay. Uh, Olu's looking at me confused. Okay. We sang that in Sunday school. Maybe that was just a house of prayer thing. Um, and so, um, there was a song about Zacchaeus. So he told Zacchaeus to come down. He said, I'm coming to your house. So he came to Zacchaeus's house and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, basically uh, Jesus's, you know, greatest haters uh, came out and they began to say, uh, you know, look at him. He's with this man. He's with a sinner. Uh, okay. Nick remembers it. All right. All right. Good, good. Uh, and he, he said, um, he said, you know, they said, look at him. He's with, he's with sinners. Look at him. He's always eating and, and talking with publicans and sinners. And I do want to read the last part of, uh, of Luke 19 um, because uh, it, it goes right into the parable of the talents. Now, I like the way Matthew gives us the parable of the talents. So we'll go back to Matthew in a moment. But the last part of, of that, it says, and Jesus said to him, talking to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he's saying Zacchaeus was uh, a part of the promise that was given way back in the day. Um, um, he's given a promise that was, that was way back in the uh, day through Abraham, because he's a lineage of Abraham, and he's saying, I've come to uh, make full the promises that were promised back then. I've come to save. I've come to what they call the lost sheep of Israel, essentially the backslidden people. I've come to bring them into repentance. And so he's telling Zacchaeus that 
you know, salvation is coming to him today, uh, as opposed to what we see here with the, with the foolish virgins, where he told them to depart from me, I never knew you. Okay, so he's saying that, that Zacchaeus will be saved by his actions, and we see that the five wise that were not prepared, that were not in relationship with God, were damned. Okay, but then after that, we go into the parable of the talents. Uh, both in, in, in Luke 19 as well as in Matthew 25, but we're going to go back to Matthew 25 and verse 14, okay? Uh, Matthew 25 and verse 14, and we're going to read 14 through 30. Uh, we, we're not doing a Bible class. The, the, length is, the reading is a little lengthy, uh, but we're going we're gonna to stop in between. Verse 14 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered the goods to them, okay? So let's, let's stop there for imagery's sake. Uh, a man who is who is rich, he calls all of his servants unto him, and he says, hey, I'm leaving, and essentially he gives them a job, okay? He gives them a job that he wants them to do while he's out, while he is away, and he gives them uh, uh, responsibilities, okay? And it says in verse number 15, and to one he gave five talents, okay? So that's, uh, again, amount of money, to another two and to another one to each according to his own ability, okay? Now, we're going to come back to that in a moment, but I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that, that he gave them this money. He gave them these talents or this weight of whatever this uh, material was. He gave it to them according to their own abilities, not according to their pedigree, not according to uh, uh, the lineage that they were born into, not according to... Um, not according to uh, uh, how good looking they were. He gave it to them according to their abilities. It says, and immediately he went on a journey. It says, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So in other words, he invested, he found a way to take what God had given him and cause what God had given him to flourish, okay? Or to turn into something more than what God had originally given him. Okay, it says, and likewise, he who received two gained two more also. So the one with two, he gained two more uh, than what he had. Uh, verse three says, but he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. So he hid what the Lord had given him. And it, this can be anything, okay? Uh, it can be money, like we're talking about here, or it can be a, it can be a physicality or, or, or a talent, rather, uh, with regards to when we think about talents in today's standpoints, a talent to sing, a, a talent to teach, uh, a, a talent to, uh, uh, to witness, a talent uh, to, to do whatever it is, even, even in a secular realm, uh, whatever that talent is, he felt as though this person with one felt as though that he didn't have enough. And so what he did was he took the talent that he had and he buried it. He didn't try to do anything with it. He didn't try to invest it. He didn't try to see if he could make it into more. But essentially what he did was he took a woe is me attitude. You know, they got five, they got two. And here I am stuck with a lonely one. So since I just got one, then I'm just going to not do anything. OK, I'm just going to be lazy with it. And so he decided that he was going to bury it in the earth. But verse uh, 19 says, after a long time, the Lord of those, and remember, see that a long time, you know, it wasn't a short, wasn't some short time. It was a long time, enough for them to get comfortable, okay? He didn't take his talent and bury it in the earth the first day, okay? But, but after a long time, the servant came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20 says, so when he who had received five talents came and brought five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them, okay? His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received, uh, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were, uh, you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now I want to stop there and I, I want to invite you to look at the differences uh, between verse number 23 and verse number 21, okay? And, and the, the important thing here is that there is no real market difference. So one had five talents and he made five more. One only had two and he only made two more, okay? So he wasn't expecting the person who was given two to make five more. He wasn't expecting the person who was given five to make 10 or 15. He was expecting them to use what God had given them the talent that he had given them, the abilities that he had given them to produce something more than what he left them with. So there's no real market difference between the one who had two and the one who had five, but the important thing to note is that both of them did something with what they were given, okay? So I, I, I look at that and I submit to you that even in verse number 24, let's go to verse 24, it says, then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to have be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. In other words, it's almost like he's throwing it back in the servant's face, I mean, in the master's face or the ruler's face and saying, you know, you had us doing all the work. You know, if you look over at Luke, the Bible tells us that, that he despised him and he almost went as like an insurrection uh, was his plan, but he piped down a lot once the servant, once the master came back. He piped down a lot, but he still had a little attitude. You know, you, 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 you didn't do anything. You left all of this to me. You left this with me and you expected me to do something with it. Okay. And he says, he says, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there. Uh, you have what is yours. So he tells him, go find it. Okay. I hid it in the ground. Go find it. You can have it. Uh, because I wasn't about to apply any elbow grease to try to make anything more than the one talent. I wasn't about to try and, and do anything or be any stronger with what it was that you gave me. I decided that I'm just going to bury it in the earth and you can have what was left to you. Now you go dig it up and you can have it. Okay. It says verse 26, but the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back at least interest. It says in verse 28, therefore, take the talents from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Then he says, now watch this. This is, this is what I want you to see here. It says, for everyone who has more, who I'm sorry, for everyone who has more will be given. And he who has abundance uh, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. Therefore, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now he's using this language, weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's talking about hell. So that shows you that there's more than just money going on here, but he uses money to make a very important example out of uh, this parable. Um, and so I want you to pay attention to a couple things here. Uh, one, I want you to pay attention to the fact that, uh, again, excuse me, uh, pay attention to the fact, again, that verse number 21 and verse number 23 uh, are almost identical, 
okay? We had one, one servant that made five talents and one servant that made two talents, but one was given five and one was given two, okay? Now, now we look at that and that already seems unfair, doesn't it? It seems like, you know, well, they gave five to one and two to the other, and then it seems like he only, he only gave one to this other guy. Um, why did he only give one to the other guy? Well, I submit to you that he gave one to the other guy because he knew that the one with one couldn't even really handle the one. He knew that the one that had two couldn't handle the five. He knew that the one with five couldn't handle the 10 or that he could at least handle the five, but could handle more than the two and more than the one. But the key to why who got, and it's a parable, it's a parable, but there, the reason I'm telling you that is, is not just because uh, of me uh, just having subjector and, uh, oh, well, this is what I think. But if you go back up to verse 15, it says, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each one according to what? His own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So many times in life, we may feel like we're the servant that had the one talent. Well, Lord, I'm trying to make my life work, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to do that, uh, but but I don't have what this other person has. I don't have the two talents. I don't have the five talents. And we always find a way to compare ourselves to somebody that seems to have more than what we have. But what God is saying here is that if you want to up the level that I'm going to give to you, if you want to up the level that I'm going to deposit into you, if you want to up the level of finances that I'm going to give to you, if you want to up the level of skill that I'm going to give to you, you have got to increase your level of ability to handle it. Why would I give you something that you don't have the ability to handle? And so he gave to, it would have been foolish for God, because see, even when you look at this, the one with one didn't say, well, you gave me one. And so I was mad that you didn't give me two or five. But what he said was, I knew you were a hard master and I knew you were going to come back and try to reap where you didn't. So he had excuses. Okay. That's what I want you to read into that without getting into exactly what was going on. He had excuses for, for why he wasn't where he should have been by the time that the master came back. He had excuses for why he had not gotten there, okay? The five virgins, they had excuses for why they were not there when the bridegroom came. They went back to buy oil, and they're knocking on the door, and they're saying, let us in, you know, and they've got excuses as to why they weren't where they were supposed to be at the time that they were supposed to be there, okay? But, but God knew that the one was going to waste the one, so why give him five for him to go bury the five in the earth? But what happens with the one that had the one? The one that had the one ended up having the one that he had taken away from him and gave it to the one that what? Had the ability to handle it. Okay, and we wonder why going to a money, I don't want to confuse you, but there is a dual meaning here, okay? But we wonder why God doesn't trust us with more money. Well, he doesn't trust you with more money because you keep taking out credit cards and you're paying high interest on credit cards and not paying the balance down every month and you have no discipline. So what's happening? The money that you do have is being taken away from you in interest and going what? To Discover Card, the one that had the five talents, because now they're going to have more. It's being taken away from you and being given to Chase Manhattan Bank. It's being taken away from you and given to GMAC Financing for the card note. It's being taken away from you and it's being given to uh, um, the, the, the house note people. And most of us have mortgages, including myself. Uh, so I'm not saying that 
that that is sin necessarily, but the Bible tells us that the one who is the borrower is servant to the lender. It ought to be in all of our best efforts to do everything we can to get out of date, debt, even one day owning your home. And I know that might sound crazy for those of you that own a home, you know how expensive it is. You know, you owe $100,000 or maybe even more, but God has given you the ability to get wealth. And with that wealth, we should not be digging ourselves further into a ditch or hiding it in the earth as the one with the one talent did, but we ought to be finding ways to increase our ability to handle it. If you want to increase your ability to be able to uh, increase your ability to handle it, then you need to start figuring out ways to find out more about the subject that you need to increase your ability in. You may say, well, I don't know a lot about money and my parents didn't talk a lot about money and, you know, I didn't really know and, and, and I was just, you know, financially dumb. Well, nobody's born financially smart, but what there's no excuse for not going to a bookstore. You got half price books. You got Barnes and Noble. You got Dave. Ramsey. You got uh, Hogan. I can't remember his first name. You've got uh, all of these areas in the business section at your local Barnes and Noble where you can figure out money. Dave Ramsey, his whole his whole idea behind money is from a spiritual perspective. Okay, I've read some of his material. It's very good. And matter of fact, my wife and I even now we're working on uh, on that idea of being debt free. Why? Because I realize that as I increase my ability, God will increase what he entrusts me with. Why would God trust me with more if I'm showing him that I can't deal with more? Why would God give me more when, you know, and truthfully, if we think about it, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, and, and I was thinking about how, you know, most of us, if we're honest, of course, there's some layoffs and things like that right now. Uh, but, but even if we look at ourselves, you know, last year at this time, before the pandemic and things hit, let's look at it as last year. If you look at yourself in 2019, did you make more money in 2019 that you, than you made five years before that in 2014? And the answer for most people is probably yes. You probably received a job. You probably haven't been demoted in most cases. And then let's look back again. Do you make more money? Did you make more money in 2014 than you were making in 2009? And again, the answer is probably yes. But here's the key. You're making more money in 2014. You're making more money in 2019. Do you also have more debt? in 2014 than you had in 2009? Do you also have more debt in 2019 than you had in 2014? And the answer to that is probably yes. And so what happens, even as we increase on our jobs and even as we increase uh, ourselves financially, we end up like the parable that Jesus talked about. Now to you guys, this probably sounds crazy, but there, there was a parable and I didn't have it prepared today, but I'll just tell you about it. Many of you will know where to find it. And if not, get with me afterwards and I'll get it for you. But there was a parable of a man who God had blessed. And when God blessed him, he had more crops than he knew what to do with, which represented, again, financial stability. And he said, what should I do with all of this wealth that I have, all of this wealth that I've accumulated? And he said, I will build a bigger barn so that I can have more place to put my wealth. I'm going to take all of this wealth I have and I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can keep it. He didn't decide to give any of it away. He didn't decide to do something or do something with the money that would be smart to do with the money. He built a bigger place to store it. And to us, that sounds crazy. Like, man, you know, he didn't have enough money. That's just like me saying, I got all the money I need and 
uh, instead of taking it and doing something productive with it or, or, or helping somebody out or doing whatever, I'm going to go get a bigger safe just so I can stack more money, more $100 bills, more gold bars, whatever it is in that safe. And I got everything I need. I'm going to build a bigger safe just so I can put more money in there. And, and to us, that sounds like ludicrous, right? It's like, well, if you got what you need, why are you building more barns just so you can be selfish, just so you can hoard, okay? But that's exactly what many of us do if you answer yes to those previous questions. Because what you did from year to year to year is the more money you make, the, the more expensive car you drive, the more money you make, the more expensive house you buy, the more money you make, the more expensive your clothes become, the more money you make, the more expensive uh, uh, you spend on all kinds of extracurricular things, travel, whatever. I'm not against nice things, okay? I like nice things, but what I'm trying to explain to you is that when that kind of thing gets out of control, okay, so yeah, okay, yeah, it's great that your income increased. That's awesome but your debt also increased in, in over those years. So now what you've done is you've went from making uh, uh, $50,000 a year and driving a Mercedes that you couldn't afford to, to making $70,000 a year and driving a Mercedes SUV that you can't afford. You really are no better off, but what you've done is you've just got, you, you, you've gotten um, more luxurious at living paycheck to paycheck. You've gotten more luxurious at uh, spending every, do every dollar that you make. And, and even in my life, I have met people and have talked to people, and you find out that people who look so financially savvy, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to keep up with the people next door, that they're really not doing any better than the person that's driving the Toyota Corolla that they can't afford when they really should have bought one that was used and a few years old, but they had to have a 2021. And the person that is wearing the Rolex is no better off than the person that's wearing the Timex. The person who's driving the Range Rover is no better off than the person who's driving uh, uh, the Camry, okay? They, they, they both would be on the streets within a few weeks if they lost their jobs and didn't have any income coming in. And so that's what's going on here with the parable of the talents. He's saying they did not have the ability to manage what was given to them. And because they didn't have the ability to manage it, or this one with the one talent didn't have the ability to manage what was given to him, because he did not have that ability, God decided to not to bless him with anything more than the one that he was given. So the question for us today is what do we have the ability to manage? What do we have the ability to manage? Not just with finances, but even in our life. What are we showing God with what we're doing? doing in our daily actions? Are we owning our life? Are we taking responsibility for our life? Are we taking responsibility for our health? Are we taking responsibility for uh, our actions from day to day and doing things even though they may not feel good because we know that the things need to be done? I was reading something this morning and I'm always eerie of statistics having a psychological or psychology background. Uh, I'm, I'm leery of statistics because you learn from your statistics classes that things can be tainted in one way or the other. But this particular book said that, that, that research shows that approximately 95% of the decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis are based on how we feel. How we feel, 95%. 95%. And, and you know what that really equates to? That equates to you being on autopilot. That equates to you just taking the same actions over and over because our feelings are kind of automatic. We don't feel like doing it. We just don't do it. We don't put any thought, real thought process into it. Well, you know, the grass is getting really high outside and it kind of looks a mess. 
I probably ought to mow the grass today. But then within minutes, you're like, you know, I'm tired. It's hot out. It's a heat advisory. And, you know, I'm just not even going to mow the grass today. We're not really thinking about it. It's just autopilot. We, we just decided we didn't feel like doing it. And then we just move on to the next thing. We're making these automatic decisions dictated by our feelings. But when is the last time that you made yourself do something that was inconvenient, made yourself do something that seemed as though uh, it wasn't really what you wanted to do? None of these uh, none of these servants seem to really have the best attitude. If you go back and read Luke 19 account of it. None of them seemed to really have the best attitude. They were all kind of mad at the master because it seemed like he was putting too much on them. I'm going to go off and, and do this other thing. Now, we know that this is a parable, so it's not necessarily true with God because the Lord said he goes to prepare a place for us. So we're we not mad. We're not feeling like God's not doing anything. He's involved in every area of our life. But if you've ever felt like life was too much, and you felt alone, if you've ever felt like God wasn't there when you needed him, if you ever felt like God was silent and he's left you with an assignment that sometimes you don't seem to have clear instructions to do, then you can identify with the parable of the talent. Because he said that, you know, you're a hard master and you reap where you haven't sown. There is a lot that God expects us to do on our part. And that's what I mean. And I want to clarify that for many of you, because I've said things that almost sound sacrilege, because I've said things like nobody's coming to save you. Well, obviously God came to save us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But the, what I mean by saying that God is not coming to save you is that God has given you the ability to do much of what needs to be done in order for you to make your life work, in order for you to live up to the full potential of what he has called for you to live up to. But the question is, are you burying it or are you out working with it? The King James Version says, occupy till I come. It means move around, do something. You should not just be stagnant. You should not just be a couch potato. Every day you get off work, you're not doing anything. How much idle time are you allowing yourself to have? You know, well, you always need rest. You're always tired. Well, why do you need so much rest? And why, do you, why are you always so, so tired? Maybe it's because you haven't actually tapped into the vision that God has for your life. And, and that vision, that vision will give you some purpose. And that purpose will give you some joy. And that joy, guess what, is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so many of us, we are uh, almost depressed because we have not tapped into the vision that God has for our life. And I'm really not preaching to you a feel-good message today. I want you to understand that I'm not trying to preach you, preach to you and get you happy and, and get you joy. But what I do want to do with the ending of this series is to get you up and get you woke about your own life. I want to get you excited about what God has deposited on the inside of you. And I don't care if he deposited five inside of you. I don't care if he deposited two inside of you. I don't care if he deposited one inside of you. Whatever he deposited inside of you is based on what you had the ability to handle at the time. Now you can up the level of your ability or you can stay within your stay in your comfort zone with the one that you have, with the one thing that he did give you with the one talent that he did give you, with the one um, um, skill or whatever the case it is that he did give you. But let me tell you, if you decide to take that route and all you can do is bake cakes, you better bake the crap out of them cakes and bake them cakes so good. You better bake them cakes. You better sell them cakes all over the neighborhood. You better, it, 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 but, but there is no excuse whatsoever 
to sit down and not do anything because everybody under the sound of my voice has been given something, has been given something from God. Um, and, and, and I say cakes, and when I say that, it makes me think of this movie. Have anybody ever seen the movie uh, Apple Mortgage Cake? I know that's a, it's kind of a weird name, but it's actually a good movie. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's on Amazon. It's a black movie. And, and I don't want to recommend it because I don't really remember. I know it wasn't bad as far as, you know, um, you know, adult scenes or anything like that, but I don't remember what the language was like, but uh, we don't watch rated R movies. So I can tell you it wasn't rated R. Uh, but the, the whole movie was about this woman who was about to lose the house. She's about to lose this house that she had. And she had taken a mortgage out on, but it was her great grandmother's house, I believe, that had paid it off. And make a very long story short, it was a true story, which is why it was um, why it was so uh, kind of riveting. But what she ended up doing, a lot of people like this apple cake that she baked. And so she began to bake those apple cakes and she began to take orders for those apple cakes. And it, it literally propelled her uh, in such a way. It, it, it didn't come without uh, uh, some stress. It didn't come without some risk. But she knew that she could bake that cake. And she knew that people liked that cake. And she began to bake those cakes like crazy. And not only did she was she able to pay the mortgage that was passed due and avoid the foreclosure, but she was able to open up a whole business slash bakery, baking those cakes as a full-time job because that was the one talent she had. But she didn't sit around saying, I only got one talent and woe is me. She didn't sit around saying it's too hard. So, you know, I mean, I'll make my cakes here and there, but I just give them away for free. And, you know, I mean, I'll sell them to a couple people here and there. No, she took that talent that she had and said, you know what? I may not have a lot, but I can make some cakes. And so she took and she made those cakes to the best of her ability until she was able to do what it was that she needed. God is not expecting you to, to uh, give a return that is more than what he has given you or has, a, 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 has allowed or allotted to you. Okay, it's okay that you may not be the person that wins as many souls to Christ as T.D. Jakes. You may not win as many souls to Christ as Noel Jones or some other televangelist or preacher. Okay, but it's no excuse for you not to share your faith and win somebody to Christ. You may not make as much money as Bill Gates or Steve Jobs made when he was alive, but it's no excuse for you not to have some kind of ability to at least get yourself out of debt. Okay, you may not be able to have the ability to sing as well as somebody else may sing, but it's no, it's no excuse not to use your voice to glorify the Lord, okay? It's no excuse not to work on the craft or the thing that God has given for you to do. You may not ever make as much money as the CEO at the company that you're working for, but it's no excuse not to show up every day and with excellence, give all that you've got and become all that God has called for you to be. Okay, there's only one you. The Bible says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That talks to, it has to do with uniqueness. Okay, it has to do with uniqueness, and uniqueness means one. That means that there's no other one like it. So you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are uniquely made. You are made in such a way that nobody else can fulfill the purpose that God has called for you to fulfill. But the question becomes: Are you going to allow yourself? Are you going to allow yourself to be like the one with the five talents, the one with the two talents, or the one with the two talents? Or are you going to allow yourself to be like the one with the one talent? Are you going to complain throughout your life? Are you going to uh, have a woe is me attitude and constantly have a pity party? Or are you going to get up, dust yourself off, and figure out what the plan is for you? 
okay? Now, I can't tell you what the plan is for you because even with a small church, there's enough people on this call that because each one of your purposes is unique, you are the only one that can figure out what God has truthfully called you to do. But I'll tell you this, when you find out what it is, you need to work at it with all your heart. When you figure out what it is that God has called for you to do, you need to work at it with all your heart, okay? I'll give you some hints on what it might be and what it may not be. Uh, I'm not saying you ever let other people rule you, but if it's something that somebody continually asks you to do and you're in, in demand for and somebody needs you to help them with and somebody asks you about, then that's the kind of thing that gives you a, a, a sliver of, of light into what it is that God has called you to do or gives you a sliver of, uh, of, of, of a view into what it is that is your purpose, okay? Is it something that you enjoy? Is it something that you're good at? Is it something that people are constantly asking you to fill in or step in or fulfill this particular role? Those are the kind of things that give you an idea. Is it something that you've been through? Maybe it's something you've been through um, and you came out of it able to help other people because you've been through that thing. You know, if you're somebody who was an alcoholic, you know, you might be good at counseling people who are alcoholics and trying to help people uh, to, to get off of that. Because what the enemy used for evil, the Lord will turn it around and use it for good. Of course, you got to make sure that you deliver it because we don't want you out ministering to nobody. And then the next thing you're in the bar with them. Are you back in the uh, in 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 uh, in the drug house or something with them? But God may have delivered you from something so that you could work with other people to help deliver them from that thing. You know, maybe you had an issue with pornography or with lust or with uh, 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 something of that sort. And maybe God is calling you to take what he has delivered you out of and not be ashamed of it, but delivered you out of it so that you can help somebody else that's dealing with that same thing. You know, are you are you good with money? Are you good with finances? Maybe God is calling you to help others learn to invest. Last year, we had Regina Fowler come to our church. And as she told us, and, and, and she didn't say it from a bragging, a braggadocious standpoint, of course, but as she told us, you know, she's someone who is a multimillionaire. And she has used courses like Dave Ramsey and has become certified, a certified Dave Ramsey coach. And what is she doing now that she's retired? She's turned around and started ministering for people, uh, ministering to people and working with people one-on-one -on -one with their finances to see people become financially solvent. Uh, she's somebody, as you guys know, she offered to work with anybody at our church uh, that wanted that help for free. And so uh, if you've lost her information or you need her information, you let me know. I can get it to you. Uh, text me. Because uh, sometimes I don't look through the chats, you know, sometimes I'll see that people are putting things out there. Uh, but but text me, you can put it in the chat. I'll try to make sure to look before I log off. Uh, but let me know that you need that information. I'll get you that information. She offered to work with any of us for free. Uh, but but she has that. That was part of her talent. That was part of the, the ministry that God gave her. And why? Because she was born money smart? No. She talked about how she ran up the JCPenney card and she ran up all these other cards. And then finally, she got to a point where they were at a, where, where they were in a situation where they didn't have anything. They had lost everything that they had, okay? And had gotten to the point where, you know, there, there, was no, there was no, I'm sorry, not lost everything they had, but they were so high in debt that they had a negative net worth. And, and she talked about how she began to dig in and begin to have to pay those things down and make those sacrifices and not going out to eat when her family wanted to go out to eat. All of that to say, she found what it was, was her purpose, what her purpose was and dealing in finances. And God has a similar purpose. Maybe your purpose may be something like that. It may be something completely different, but God has a purpose for each and every one of you. But the last thing that I want to happen to anybody at this church is to find out that the talents that God put inside of you were never cultivated.
The talents that God put inside of you were never duplicated. The talents that God put inside of you were never um, were, were never multiplied, okay? So that you could be a blessing not only to yourself, but that you could be a blessing to somebody else. And most importantly, that you can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Okay. Now we see here in this scripture that, that he uses language. He's talking about things like heaven and hell. He said there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's important to realize when we're talking about this, he uses money. And so that's why I talked about money so much, but it's important to realize as we really kind of go into our altar call portion of the service, that he's also talking about our spiritual lives, our spiritual lives. Where are we spiritually? Okay. Where are we spiritually? Where are we uh, with regards to our spiritual life? What does our spiritual makeup look like? You know, I always wonder, um, even about myself sometimes, what would I look like if my spiritual condition was worn on the outside like my physicality is? What would I look like? What would we look like? You know, because see, with the outside, we can hide it, right? We can hide a lot of this stuff. We can hide... Um, we can hide it with makeup. We can hide our blemishes. But from a spiritual standpoint, what do we look like? We, we hide that too because it's on the inside. And as long as we know the proper lingo and we know the, the proper way to, you know, bless God, well, I just thank the Lord for bringing me another day. And, you know, we know how to look and we know what to wear. And we know what not to wear. Then we think that we're okay. But truthfully, that is not the case. We need to be careful uh, we need to be careful to make sure that we know where we are going to spend eternity. We should not leave it up to chance. We should not leave it up to, well, I think I'm doing okay. We don't want to be like the foolish virgins that went back to buy oil. We want to be prepared. We want to be prepared. We don't want to be like the one with one talent that didn't give any attention to the things of God, that did not um, um, really take the things of God seriously, but just took what God had given him and buried it in the ground. What are you doing with what God gave you? What are you doing with what God gave you? We are here to pray with you. We are here to talk to you. We are here to, uh, to coach you, to counsel you. Uh, I'm not a certified counselor or anything like that, but I can definitely talk to you. And if it comes to the point where you really need a licensed counselor, I can make the proper referrals for you. Uh, but we're here. If you need to talk, if you just need prayer, if you just need to talk through a situation that's going on in your life, if you know that you've buried your talent, you know you have buried and put to the wayside the things that God has given for you to do, if you know that you're not occupying in that particular talent that he gave you, but instead you're just going through your life on autopilot, going through your life doing the same things over and over and never really getting anywhere, autopilot will put you in a holding pattern. You'll think you're getting somewhere, but it's just like walking on a treadmill, but even worse, because at least with a treadmill, you're getting exercise, but in a holding pattern, you're going nowhere. It appears like you're going somewhere, but you take two steps forward and you take two steps back. You take three steps forward and you take two steps back and you take another step back and you just never get any further than where you're supposed to be. But we serve a God who is able to get us to a point where we wake up where we wake up and we realize that the enemy has really pulled the wool over our eyes. And that as a church, sometimes we're walking, but we're actually just sleepwalking. 
we're really not going anywhere fast. We're really in an unconscious state. That's what I think of when I think of doing things subconsciously. It's like unconscious. And we all know we do it. You don't really think about it. You think of yourself as being conscious. You don't think of yourself as being on autopilot. You don't think of yourself as being spiritually asleep like the virgins were in, uh, in, in, uh, in Matthew 25. You don't think of that. You don't think of that. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been on the highway and zoned out and all of a sudden you just ended up where you were at home and not really even realizing or thinking about how you got there? You just winded up in your driveway and you just kind of like, you know, I wasn't even thinking. I'm just literally just driving, wasn't even thinking. And here I am in my driveway. Well, how did you avoid having an accident? There were cars passing you like, yeah, you might drive home a lot, but think about it. You never encountered the same cars in the exact same spots on the highway that are going the exact same rate of speed. So you had to have some level of consciousness there to be able to make it home safely. But what happened was your subconscious took over. Your subconscious will keep you free from uh, hurt, harm, and danger in most cases, but it's not going to really move you forward. And in fact, if you're not careful, your subconscious will actually hold you back because our thought process is safety. So anytime God challenges us to go forward for more, anytime God challenges us to become all, uh, uh, to fulfill all of the potential that he has put down on the inside of us, your brain works against you in many ways through your subconscious to tell you to wait with safety, stay with comfort, stay with comfort, wait with safety, don't go beyond your comfort zone, but God is calling us beyond our comfort zone, y'all. He's not calling us to bury our talents, but he's calling us to literally take the talent that we have and take some calculated risk, some calculated pray, prayed out risk for how we should be moving forward in our life. But, but if you had that experience where you've driven home, then it shows you right there the power of subconsciousness. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever had a time where you were driving alone and you were planning to go one place and you got on a completely different highway because you used to going 270. So you went 270, but you really needed to go 170, but you didn't pass, you didn't pass 170 up and, and you headed towards 270 because you used to take in that way. And, and somebody in the car say, you know, <laughs> Jessica said uh, the Friday, uh, Jessica said uh, we were in the car together, no, Thursday, and I did exactly this. I was driving, not really paying attention, and I said, Jessica, where was the police station? She needed to get some fingerprints done for her nursing license uh, in a different state, and I said, where was the, and she said it was back there, the police station was back there, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'm so used to going down this way. When I go down this way, I'll be going to Coles, and I'm like, so in my head, you know, I'm just going to Coles, but I was supposed to stop back here about a half mile earlier at the police station. That's the subconscious taking over. Your subconscious, you know, I'm talking to her, not really thinking about it. I just keep on driving. I'm headed towards the police station. And I was laughing because uh, I ended up actually doing the same thing later that day, uh, was kind of like past it again. And she was like, where are you going? And she was saying that she had read somewhere or some kind of meme or something that said, black people never say, wait, stop, turn here. They just say, where are you going? Um, <laughs> and so she hit me with one of those, where are you going? And I'm like, well, clearly I needed you to say, wait, you're going the wrong way, but you didn't let me pass it and just say, where are you going? Uh, but, but I make that point to say that that is the power of the subconscious. It's not a big deal when you're trying to get 270, you accidentally pass it and have to take 170 and loop back around. But it is a big deal when you had a purpose in life and you missed it. 
because you decided to live most of your days on autopilot because there's not there's only a u-turn ramp for so long that's going to take you back in the direction that you needed to go in but we keep doing the same thing over and over and when we take a couple steps forward and we think that things are going to work out better for us we end up sabotaging ourselves in some way shape or form thinking that we really maybe we just not entitled to live the life that God truly wants us to live or that God doesn't want us to have more or he doesn't want us to be successful and we sabotage ourselves and end up right back in the same place that we were before but no more that ends today self-sabotage ends today autopilot ends today in the name of Jesus we are coming after everything that the enemy stole we are coming after everything that God has for us to be we're going to make some bold moves we're going to do some things that we've been afraid to do for weeks we're going to do some things we've been afraid to do for months some things that we've been afraid to do for years we, we're not going to make any rash or impulsive decisions but we are going to make some decisions because all of us truthfully know what five things are the major five things that we could do in our life to make our life better but we keep bringing ourselves back to the same decision over and over again why because we rather be comfortable than productive we rather be comfortable we rather uh, be in a place where we at least know you know that's the thing about mediocrity you know what's coming okay you decide you want to leave you live your life past the mediocrity then you take the risk of failure but I serve a God who has no fault and I serve a God in whom there is no failure. So I'm not worried about failure. I'm not gonna let fear, I'm not gonna let laziness, I'm not gonna let comfort cause me to stay in the same place, but I'm gonna step out on faith. I'm gonna step out on calculated risk. I'm gonna step out in prayer and I'm gonna become all that God wants me to be. And I challenge you today and I pray with you today to do the same. Father, we come before you. God, we thank you for your love, your mercy, God, your grace. God, we thank you right now, Lord Jesus, because we ask you, uh, uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the ability to know what our issue is, the ability to know what our problem is. And God, we put our hope, faith, and trust in you right now, Lord Jesus, because we believe that even right now, you are going to help us to become all that you would have for us to be. We rebuke the enemy that would have us to think that the, that the devil, uh, that the Lord wants us to be broke that we're supposed to remain in debt, that we're never supposed to have anything, that, 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 that good, good fortune doesn't come our way. We send it back to the pits of hell right now in the name of Jesus. And God, we accept the vision that you have for our life. God, we exchange our vision and our comfort, Lord, for what it is that you want to bring us into. And we thank you for it right now, Lord Jesus. We ask you, Lord Jesus, and that in all our getting, that we get understanding, as the scripture says, that in all our getting, Lord Jesus, that we continually draw close to you. In all our getting in life, oh God, that first and foremost, Lord Jesus, that our relationship with you is on point and connected to you. Because Lord, not only do we not want to miss our purpose in this earth, but we don't want to miss far more our purpose in the kingdom of God. And we want to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into my rest. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.